Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Um, just reading a passage, um, and then I just want to pray, pray for the message as well, and, and also pray uh, for everything else going on, um, it is in First Timothy chapter two, and it says, "I urge then, first of all, that, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. That is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus." Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Um, so I want to pray, um, pray for our leaders, pray for our people, pray for uh, people all over the world that are struggling right now, um, and also pray for our message as well. So join with me in prayer. Uh, Father, we want to thank you that you are a good God. We want to thank you uh, for, for all that you've given us. We, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Um, and we, we want to pray that people may know that you are God all across the world. We want to pray for healing. We want to pray for your goodness to, to permeate into all corners of the earth. We pray for our leaders. Uh, we pray for our people who are vulnerable. Uh, and we, we pray for us as a church that we may be a witness to who you are in all things. Uh, be with us today um, as we seek to learn from your word um, and understand you more. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, uh, so for those who don't know me, my name is Braden. I'm, I'm one of the pastors on staff here, uh, and we have been making our way through a, a new series, looking at God's people. Um, and today, uh, we are looking at the story of, of David. Um, so we're looking at some characters throughout the Old Testament. Uh, and uh, naturally, um, when we talk about David, we need to start uh, in Genesis, um, which is probably not so much about David, but I wanted to start there anyway. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 and 3 are uh, two very important chapters uh, in the Bible uh, because it talks about God's presence. It talks about how God uh, created this, this garden uh, for humanity to live in and how God dwelt in that garden with his people and how God gave them some commands for them to follow in a way that they would live with God and according to how God had made them and who they have made them to be. Uh, and as we get to Genesis 3, uh, we see uh, that humanity does two things. So one, they disobey the command that they were given. They disobey what they were told to do and the way that they were told to live. And also they hide from God. When they disobey, they also hide from God. And, and these two things uh, break this presence of living with God. They're no longer living under his kingship and living according to his rules. And also they run uh, from being intimately with him. And as we see the story of the Old Testament unfold, this continues. We see people continue to walk away from God, to continue to, to walk away from his presence and to, to not follow him and know him and be with him. And we also see people not follow the laws that he has given them. And this is a theme throughout the Old Testament. And we get to Exodus, uh, which is also another really fun book. Uh, Bible overview on Monday night, get ready. Um, so we have the story of Exodus and what does God give them? He gives them the law. Uh, and he gives them this thing called the tabernacle, which is this big tent where God dwells with them. And so this is God's 
story of restoring his presence just like the garden uh, in order to, to bring back relationship with God so that people may know God. To give us a chance to now obey him uh, and also be with him. And, and with this all together, they are in the presence of God. They are with God. They know God and, and God's presence can be seen across the nations. When they follow God's law, they see the greatness of God. They see who God is. They see the life that God has created us to live and they see God dwelling with his people. That is, that is what God created us to be, and that is who God made us to be, and that is the story of the Old Testament, God coming, giving this law uh, and this tent so that people may be in the presence of God. And as we come to the story of David, David is a man who wants to be in the presence of God. David is a man who wants to dwell with God. He has a desire to, to obey God and to follow his laws, to follow his commands, to live the life that God called them to live, but also to be intimately knowing God, to be intimately trusting God, to, to be protected by God, to be comforted by God, um, and to be in his house. Um, and, and so our, our kind of our main kind of passage uh, that we're kind of uh, springboarding out of is in Psalm chapter 27, um, and our main passage is verse 4, but I'm going to read the first six verses. We're going to read a bit of Bible today. Um, because the Bible is awesome. Um, and so if you have your Bible with you, you can follow along. If not, you can follow along on the screen. This is what Psalm 27 says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though the war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. This is our passage, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon the rock. David is a man who desires to be with God. David is a man who wants to be in his house, in his presence, just as that Genesis 2 picture that was painted, to be with God, to obey God, to trust in God, to be comforted by God regardless of what happens around him, to be in God's presence, and through that, for God's presence to be made known to the nations. And so uh, we're going to look through some of the stories in David's life and look how that plays out and what that looks like. Um, and so in, in order to kind of keep this under an hour and a half, um, we... You guys laugh now, wait. Um, in order, I'm, I'm going I'm to assume there's a little bit of like kind of rough idea of the story of David, and so I'm going to rush over some things and pick a few verses and focus on some things. Uh, but largely speaking, um, I'm going to give some summaries. hope that's okay. You guys are right with that? Encourage you guys go back and read First and Second Samuel once again. Great, um, great books to read and know and understand. Um, but we're going to be hanging out there today um, as we look through the story of David. Um, and so, of course, um, our what is our kind of classic story of David, David and Goliath? We're going to start with David and Goliath because what a what a great fun story. Um, and we're going to be looking. Um, I'm going to go to First uh, Samuel chapter 17. And I'm going to look at verses four to seven. Uh, this is what it says. It says, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. 
Uh, his height was six cubits and a span, which is very tall. Uh, he had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. Uh, on his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, which is a very thick piece of wood. Uh, and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. So it's a very heavy spear. And his shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath was a big man. He's a scary man. He was a warrior. Uh, and quite often, uh, when we look at the story of David and Goliath, we kind of do focus on David and Goliath. Uh, but the, the thing that I think we often miss is it should have been the story of David and Saul. It should have been the story of, of Goliath and Saul. It should have been the story of Goliath versus Saul. Um, and, and there's a few things um, that I want to point out here. So first, um, so uh, the people of Israel were commanded to, to destroy um, the, the, the pagan kind of cities and towns and people that were living around Israel uh, to keep them pure. Um, so if you, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, um, we're rushing around here. It says that when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering um, to possess and drives out before you many nations, uh, and it goes on, it says, and when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. Uh, and so Saul has this command to come up against the Philistines and to wipe them out because they are godless people, they corrupt uh, God's people, and we see that story continue to unfold where the, the Israelites worship the Philistine gods uh, because they're kind of living around them and they fail to actually completely destroy them. And so if Saul is being faithful to God and following God and following his commands that he has given him, Saul is taking on these Philistines and wiping them out. The second thing, um, if you look at First uh, Samuel early on when he's just anointed as king, um, there's quite a distinct thing about uh, who Saul is in First uh, Samuel chapter nine verse two. It says, uh, "Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be uh, found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else." So Saul is a tall man. Saul is tall. Saul is a mighty warrior. Saul has really good armor. Sound like anyone? Sounds like Goliath, right? Saul is this tall, mighty warrior. He has good armor. He has a good sword. Uh, and, and it's supposed to be the story of Saul versus Goliath. Two evenly matched tall men, well-equipped for battle. Two warriors fighting each other one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and, and the story is supposed to be a story of God being with God's mighty warrior against the mighty warrior of the Philistines. That's what it was supposed to be. Saul was supposed to follow God in his command of wiping out the Philistines, and he was supposed to be faithful to God, that God would be with him as he went into battle and fought Goliath. Two evenly matched people go to fight each other, but Saul wins because God is with Saul and Saul is with God. That is supposed to be the story. That's what it was supposed to be like. But what is Saul doing in the story of David and Goliath? He's scared. He's not doing anything. He's making offers to his soldiers for anyone that's willing to go and fight them. Saul is not doing what he's commanded, and he doesn't trust that God would be with him if he was to go into battle against Saul. Saul is the king. Saul is the leader. Saul is the mighty warrior that should be facing this man, but he does not do it. Saul is not in God's presence. Saul does not in that moment desire to be in the house of the Lord. And then we have this guy called David who comes along. Now, David is not tall. 
David is not a mighty warrior. David does not have fancy armor. In fact, David can't even wear fancy armor because it's too awkward for him. David is not even old enough to be a warrior in the army. David should not be fighting Goliath. But David obeys God because they have been commanded to to wipe the Philistines out so that God's people are not corrupted by their worship of other gods and the lives they live. And David trusts that God would be with him. And so rather than Goliath being fought by a mighty tall warrior with good armor and good fighting skills, uh, that man goes in to fight Goliath with five pebbles. A short man with no warrior experience, with no height, you know, nothing, just five pebbles. And it's the story of, of David trusting in God. A story of, of David being with God, honoring God, following the laws that he has been with. He is a man who wants to be with God, protected by God, and trust in God. He has the confidence that God would be with him. That is the story of David and Goliath. And, and we see uh, the story as it unfolds. So even like Saul wants David to wear his tunic. So it looks like King Saul is really going out to battle. Like if you read the story, it says, put on my tunic. Like it, it's, it's a really interesting story how it's supposed to be Saul, but really it's a little boy with five pebbles. And, and, and this is the model that we're given of someone who wants to dwell in the house of the Lord forever someone who is confident in God's presence, someone who obeys what God has called him to do. And David is the model that is given to us, right? Like David is the man after God's own heart. David is the man who who follows God in his presence, the one who is kind of bringing back this story of Eden where people were, someone was with God, intimately involved with God, following his laws and doing what he is commanded to do. He is this bright light in the Old Testament, doing what he's called to do. And does it end there? No. David does some naughty things, right? David does some naughty things. We, we continue on. Um, we get to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11. Story of David and Bathsheba. Do we know that one? Yeah. So, uh, in, so uh, if we look at uh, verse 1, uh, what happens in the springtime, at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. All right. So, and then it says, they, so they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained where? In Jerusalem. So what is David commanded to do? To wipe out the enemy nations. To go and, and, and get rid of all these people. But where is he? Staying in Jerusalem. Away from the battlefield. Just like Saul, right? Like Saul didn't want to go into battle against Goliath. And now here David is when, when the, all these kings are coming to, to fight and, and the Israelites are called to continue this process of, of fighting against the, these nations that are corrupting Israel's people. David is in Jerusalem. Just like Saul. David is not obeying God. And, and if we look at the rest of the story, David is definitely not obeying God, right? David... Uh, is, is unfaithful. Uh, David is, is a murderer. He, he, with, with the whole story of Bathsheba and Uriah, uh, once again, if you want to, to look at that story, David continues to disobey the, 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 the law of God and disobey who God made him to be and how God commanded him to live. And just like Saul, uh, David becomes 
uh, insecure about this man who was faithful uh, to God because Uriah is faithful the whole way through. Um, and just in the same way that, that Saul was insecure about this man called David who was faithful, and just in the same way that Saul tried to have David killed because of this problem, David also tried to have Uriah killed. And even more so, unlike Saul, he's successful. He has the faithful man killed uh, who, who had really pointed David to his sin and pointed out his flaws and how he had failed to obey God. Just like Saul, if not even more, the fact that he was successful. David, the man after God's own heart, disobeys God's law and his commands. Um, And as we continue on, we get to chapter 12 and we have this story of a prophet called Nathan who rebukes David. Um, And this is the story that he says. So he says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for for the one who had come. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Not only does David fail to obey God, When Nathan comes to rebuke him, he can't see his own sin. He can't see his own sin. And and this this is the problem. And and we're going to look at another story as well. David is the man after God's own heart. David is the man who who desires to be in God's house always. David is the man who is modeled to us as, as this faithful character in the Bible. And yet here he fails incredibly. And so when I read that, I'm like, well, what chance do I have? What, what chance do I have? Like if David is, is the faithful one and here he is, he just killed someone, he, he slept with someone that he shouldn't have uh, and he can't even see his own sin and he is the faithful man, what chance do I have? And we, if we look at another story as well, this one um, you might not be as familiar with, but it's right at the very end of Second Samuel in chapter 24. Um, and so what happens is, Um, It says, again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, go and take a census of Israel and Judah. So why do you take a census? Why do you you want to count all the men in your nation so you know how big your army is? Why do you want to know how big your army is? So you know who you can fight. You want to know who you're bigger than, who you're smaller than, who who you reckon you can take on and who you can't take on. Does that sound like anyone? Sounds like Saul, right? Like Saul measured himself up with Goliath and was like, nah, that's, not a good, that's not a good matchup. Saul's trying to do match, uh, David's trying to do matchups as well. He's not trusting in God, right? So and as it continues on, so, so, so the, king, uh, uh, the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Bathsheba and enroll all the fighting men so, that they, so I may know how many are there. He's trying to figure out what he can match up against. Come on, David. You're a man after God's own heart. You're, you're the man that wants to dwell in the house forever, and here you are not trusting in God, 
not going out to fight your battles and trying to match up rather than trusting that God is in control. You, you, you sing a song and, or write this psalm about how you're comforted by God in all things and then here you are playing matchup just like Saul did. And so then you have Joab, he replies. So Joab, by the way, if you look through the story of Joab, he does all the wrong things all the time. He's useless. He's, he's David's commander and he keeps doing the wrong thing. He keeps, he's angry. He, he makes all these mistakes. He's like, David's already cursed the guy. Um, and, and so here, Joab, the sense of reason in this story, he says, uh, Joab replied to the king, may the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over and may the eyes of my Lord, the king, see it. But why does my Lord, the king, want to do such a thing? Joab sees that David isn't being faithful to God and trusting in God. Joab is seeing that this census isn't what God, what, what God wants and it's not trusting in God. Uh, and even Joab probably knows that in Exodus, it talks about if you do a census, God, God actually had commands around this where he said, if you do a census because you're, just, you're not trusting in me, like, you're going to have plagues. Like Plagues are going to come. Um, David overrules, so the, king, um, the, the king's word, however, overruled Joab and the army commanders, so they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel. Even after Joab points him to it, he still doesn't see that he's doing the wrong thing. David isn't trusting in God. The man after God's own heart, the man who is, is trusting in God, is not trusting in God, just like Saul. And, and as we see when he comes back, um, so they, they go out and they do the, the survey, and when we um, get to verse 8, it says, After they had gone through the entire land, they came back to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. Uh, verse 9, so Joab reported the number of fighting men to the king in, in, in Israel. There were 800,000 able-bodied men who could handle a sword, and in Judah, 500,000 which is like way bigger than any other nation. Like, it's, like even like the commentators are like, they can't have been that big. There's no way. So it's like, it, like the numbers are kind of almost, if anything, they're overemphasized to say like, your army is massive, David. What the heck are you even doing? You're like, you are Goliath right now. Um, and so uh, David was conscious stricken, verse 10, after he had counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. David is the man after God's own heart. David is the man who, who writes Psalm 27 and writes every other psalm that, that we, you know, almost every other psalm that we read, talking about how he wants to be with God and dwell with God, how he, he loves God, how he's faithful to God and trusts in God, how he's not worried about his enemies. And, and he is the model to us, yet here we see. God, uh, David com like completely disobeying God in, in David and Bathsheba. And then we see David completely failing to trust God when he counts his army. Just like Saul. Just like Adam and Eve. And so the question, that once again, that we ask ourselves, if this is David, what hope do I have? What hope do we have if the, if the faithful model that is presented to us fails in, in such a magnificent way? What hope do I have? And, and that's part of the point of the story. Because the one that is told to us as this faithful man of Israel, the, the, the king that would surpass all kings, 
the, this great man failed miserably. Uh, and the truth is, for us, for me, like, I fail miserably. Like, as much as I, I want to be in God's presence, as much as I, I might sing that psalm or, or read that psalm or pray that psalm, I'd fail to obey God. I fail to obey God, and I fail to trust in God. I do. And, and, and if you're honest with yourself, so do you, right? Like, we all do that. We all fail to, to be people who dwell in, to, to want to dwell in God's house, to want to be, here, be under his kingship and follow his laws and, and to trust in him in all things and to follow him and to, to be the one that goes out to battle and fights against other nations because we know that God is with us and protecting us. We fail to trust God. We fail to obey God. Time and time again. Time and time again. And so the difference, there's one big difference between Saul and David. Because they both, like, like we've looked through it, like they both do the exact same thing. The big difference between Saul and David, and once again, this is a big point in First and Second Samuel, and the story of David, is that David repents. David repents. And his faithfulness isn't so much just seen in the fact that he lived this perfect life and never did anything wrong, because that would not be encouraging for us at all, right? Like, if, if the Bible was a story about all these faithful people that you could never be, like, that's not very encouraging because when we fail to be faithful, as all of a sudden, that's not us. But the story of David is one who, just like us, fails to obey God and fails to trust God. But a man that when he realizes his sin runs back to God. David runs back to God. When he, and, and even he, sometimes he doesn't realize his sin straight away. Sometimes he needs people in his life to actually come alongside him and help him to realize what he's done wrong. Uh, and, and sometimes he continues to fail again and again in some significant ways. But when he realizes his sin and realizes how he has walked out of God's house, he repents and he runs back to God. And the stories and the songs that he sings of how he laments and weeps and mourns the fact that he was not with God in those moments is what distinguishes David from Saul. Because even though David does often not dwell in the house of the Lord. He runs back as soon as he realizes he is lost. And that is the story of David. Um, I want to give you some practical things about this because um, I think that's, um, that's a really hard thing to actually do and see and, and to understand. Like it's like, and it's a hard thing for us to kind of reconcile because Repentance is hard. Repentance is hard. Um, and so a uh, couple of things that we see is, so um, first thing, generally we, we kind of fail in one of those two areas more than the other. Okay, so we, we often are, are probably more like either obeying God or, or trusting God. Like we're normally better at one or the other. That's fair, right? Like, so 
for some of us, so for me, for instance, like I, I, I've given me some rules to follow, and that's fairly straightforward. Like rules are rules are helpful. Give me like I'm a maths person, um, and so if you give me like the the maths equation and how it works and how it fits together, I'll just follow it. Um, but trusting in God is really hard. And so sometimes like I'm following all the rules and I'm doing all these great things for God, uh, but but my relationship with God is terrible. Right, like I'm not trusting in God. I'm trying to, to build this kingdom and I'm like, God's just gonna get in the way. And if I if I try and, you know, I'm you know, sizing up like what I can do and like how much strength I have, just like David, and you know, and he's just being like, Oh, like actually that battle's gonna be too hard, so I'm gonna like do this thing, and God's gonna be so happy with me when I follow all the rules and do all these amazing things for God, but my relationship with God is not there, and my trust in God and my my faithfulness to God is not there. And for some of us, like, that's the thing that's really hard. Like, it's really hard to actually trust in God and be intimate with God and, and to, to rely on God in, in so many different things. And it's just easier to kind of follow his law uh, and, and do the things that he's told us to do and to live like a really good life um, and to be really productive in the, in the church and in the kingdom without actually trusting God. Like, that's what, what some of us are like, right? Like, that's, um, everyone's completely different to me. But, but for other people... Sometimes, like, your relationship with God is intimate, man. Like, you, like, you're there on your knees. You just got scabs on your knees because you're praying all day, all night, and you want to worship God. And I, and I see the way that you worship, and I see that. And, and even those times where, like, this is the same for me. Like, I am intimate and close with God, and I'm trusting in Him, and I'm relying on Him. But I'm also not obeying and I'm not doing what I was called to do. And so while my relationship with God and, and my trust in him is great, I'm not actually in that moment necessarily doing what he has commanded me to do. I'm just kind of sitting in his house, just sitting there, like enjoying God, but I'm not actually, like sometimes like I'm, I'm sinning and I'm doing the things that I shouldn't be doing or, or sometimes like I'm just, like I'm not actually like trying to follow the commission and tell people about Jesus and I'm not serving and loving people in the way that I've been commanded to do. I'm just kind of like enjoying God, but not actually responding to it and living the life that I'm called to do. And sometimes like we fit into one of these categories more than the other. Sometimes we struggle to, to obey God and to follow him. And sometimes we also struggle to go out and do what we are commanded to do. Sometimes like we, we, we wrestle with one of those things. Um, the second thing, is that in the story of David, um, one of the things that I think, it, like once again, I want to re-emphasize is that David can't see his own sin that well. And once again, David is a man after God's own heart. What chance do I have? And sometimes we can't see our own sin and failure. And sometimes someone points it out to us and we still can't see our own sin and failure. We, we're just not good at it. David wasn't good at it. What chance do I have? And, and so this is, this is something that's hard. And I, and I want to, once again, I want to put some caveats around this stuff. Um, but we need people around us to point us to our sin. And the caveat I want to put it is that you need to find people to bring into your life that know you, that love you, that are wise, that, that can see when you're not obeying God and see when your spiritual life is also terrible um, to see both of those aspects um, and, and to, to call you to repent. 
Now, the caveat is that is not a call to, to kind of go around and just like calling people out. Like that's, that's not a spiritual gift of like criticism. Like that's not what we're calling. We're calling for, for all of us to, to bring people into our lives that are godly, that are trustworthy, that love us, that care for us, that love God, that can come into our lives and say, your spiritual life right now is not what it should be. The way that you're living your life is not obeying God's law. The commission that you are given is not something that you are living out in your life. I see that sin in your life and I see how it's harming your family, your your loved ones. I see how it's harming the different aspects of your life. We need to bring people into our life who can point us to our sin. Because we, like David, are going to struggle to see it. Um, Number three, um, what chance do we have in seeing our sin? Um, But like David, we can repent. That is the thing that can be the difference. And and when we're we're talking about repentance, it's, it's this story of us turning around and running back to God. For us to turn around and run back into God's presence. When we, when we look at um, the story of, of David and Bathsheba, um, when, when we get to um, 2 Samuel in chapter 12, um, verse 20, this is, what, this is how David repents. He says, He got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. David responded by coming back and worshipping God. He repented. He, he tried to come back to God, back into his house and clings to God. He turns around and runs away from what he did and worships. When we get to the end of 2 Samuel, uh, when in verse 25, it says, David built an altar to the Lord and there sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Um, and, and he comes back to God and worships him and honors him. And, and so, like, we are going to, to fall short continually, just like David. We're going to do it. It happens. And I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I'm saying that your response to that and how you come back to God is the thing that defines yourself as people of God. Your desire when you see your sin and you see your brokenness to run back into the house of the Lord and to want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, just like Psalm 27, is what distinguishes you as God's people. And the thing that I think makes that most beautiful, that that David doesn't get to experience, is the fact that we have Jesus. We have Jesus in that story. We have a God and this and a story where, where God loved us so much that he would send his son to die for us so that our sins may be wiped away so that we can run back to God. Jesus sent his son to die because he wants to see us run back to him and he wants to be with his people. God sent his son to die because he wants to see you want to dwell in his house forever so that your guilt and your shame is wiped away when you do fall short. And when it does happen, 
when you do fail to trust God, when you do fail to obey God, but that, that you'll see your sin, know that your sin is washed away by the blood of Jesus and that you run back to God and cling to him. That is what we want to be as a church. A church that runs back to God. A church that when we fall short, we want to dwell in God's house. We want to run back to him like a child who is lost and scared. We want to be people who want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And when we fall short, when people point us to our sin, when we see our own sin, we run back to God. That is the story of David. How we pray and bring the worship team back up and let's sing one more song. Uh, Father, we, we thank you that you are a great and mighty God. We, we thank you for your son Jesus and we, we thank you the fact that you sent him to die on the cross for our sins, that you washed away our guilt and shame, and, and that we can come back to you even when we fall short. Even when you knew that we would fail time and time and again, you knew that we would do that, yet you still chose to send your son Jesus. You want us to be in your house with you, and you have so much patience for us. Help us to be a people who, who wants to cling to you even when we fall short, even when we run away, that we would, we would want to dwell in your house forever. Help us to, to place people in our lives that would, that would help us to see where we fall short. Help us to, to, to grow in intimacy and, and to, to see how we are called to live and to learn how we are called to live. And Lord, when we are in your presence, help us to see your love, your mercy, and your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.